Emerald podcast series. Research that makes a difference. Hello, I'm Francesca Lombardo, Marketing Executive at Emerald Publishing and co-host of the Emerald Publishing podcast series. In this episode, I'm joined by Mike McLaughlin and Elaine Cox, co-authors of Braver Leaders in Action, Personal and Professional Development for Principal Leadership. Today, we'll talk about what motivated them to write this book, why do we need braver leaders in our organizations, and much more. Well, I'm Elaine Cox, and I'm an honorary research fellow in the business school at Oxford Brookshire University. I've got a PhD from Lancaster University, and in addition to writing books and articles, which I love doing, I'm the founding editor of the International Journal of Evidence-Based Coaching and Mentoring. My name is Mike McLaughlin. I'm a consultant, coach, mentor, working in the area of leadership development in the public and also the private sectors. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for being here. So what motivated you to write this book? Initially, it was first-hand experiences. It was, you know, my experiences and, of course, ultimately Elaine's as well in terms of good and bad leadership and how that could have a, a fairly debilitating effect on one's mental and physical health, but also how you could feel buoyant and engaged, vibrant, focused within a team, within an organization, when you had a good leader. And I I should point out right now that when we talk about leadership, this can be someone in a position of influence. It's not necessarily a leader in terms of the org chart. And I suspect that as we continue with this conversation, we will uncover that leaders and leadership well, that can apply to everyone ultimately. And I think that's one of the things that uh, we would want to make sure that people walked away from the podcast understanding. I also saw as a coach, an executive coach, the effect on individuals. Again, partly the leader, also it can be the environment, it can, it can be the, the tone of the team or the organisation, but I could see that some people appeared to have created what I would call collateral people damage. And what I mean by that is that they left a trail of destruction, some leaders, people who were stressed, anxious, burnt out, whatever it may be, and that maybe a duty of care of the organization had not been carried out to look at the track record of certain individuals before they were hired. They may have been hired for skill, but were they competent in other areas like, let's say, emotional intelligence? And sometimes, sadly, it dawned on me that some people in some businesses were kicking the can down the road, so to speak. They were getting rid of individuals who were their problem people and not really telling the other department or the the other organization or, or whatever what these individuals were actually like. And so this toxic package could be passed on. And so up front, up close, I saw vicariously, felt vicariously, what could go wrong when you had the wrong people in positions of influence. Again, I shall call it that. Now, I also noticed 
and I'm sure I speak for Elaine as well, you don't have to do too much reading and research to uncover that there's a lot of good information out there. And that's, that's also what, what led to the, uh, the germ of the idea of the book, was doing a lot of research, was doing a lot of reading. And when you do that, and you do that in terms of development, psychological development, leadership development, you, you will find that, that there are things which just make sense and they are quite inspirational. And then you begin to think to yourself, or I did, well, hold on a second. We've got all this good information out there. What, what stops it showing up? Why doesn't it show up day to day? And I think one of the reasons is that it may be a little bit too complex, complicated. Now, I don't think that everything should be distilled down into bite-sized chunks. And I would encourage understanding through reading, through personal research. But I have to say that if people are just getting going in a role that, that has some influence, then it can be difficult for them to take on board a lot of stuff. And so if, if something is too complicated initially, then what that can mean is that people either do not understand it properly and then misapply it, or and or they just forget about it because it just seems like too much work. So I think that may be in the mix. However, when Elaine and I looked at different leadership styles, I think we found that there was a, a common thread that you could run between all of them and then ask the question, well, this leadership style looks good. It complements that one over there. But we don't see too much of this type of leadership either. Hold on a second. Could it be that it's not, these things are not being applied in the moment, not because they're complex, but because something is stopping people having the courageous thought, the courageous ideation, and then taking the, the braver decision, making, taking the braver action. And, and that's where we sort of ended up, which was the, the, the genesis, uh, ultimately, of some of our earlier writings and, indeed, this book, because it seemed to, to, to us to be the case that if you were in an organisation or, or, or there were systemic issues, it could be really difficult to, to do that thing. And to do it, you had to have an element of bravery. And whilst that is by far, of course, not the only thing that goes on in teams and businesses, it seemed to us to be one of those areas that we really needed to hone in on to make the, the, the courage of thought, the bravery of decision and action really important, highlight it and encourage it. And that's kind of where we started off. You know, having studied business management and it's my undergraduate, I studied uh, leadership and entrepreneurship. And the way that your book strike me is that there's so much research about leadership, obviously, on organizations and business. But what's the actual research on braver or brave leadership? That's why I think it's such a, a, a brilliant idea. So I was wondering, how do you define braver leadership? What do you mean? By braver leadership? So for me, braver leadership is about the leader's ability and their motivation to take a stand for what's morally right. 
So not standing back and saying, I'll wait for something else to happen or I'll wait for someone else to do something. I don't know what you think, Mike, but that's what it means to me. No, absolutely, Elaine, absolutely. I I think that, um, well, in fact, actually, what I can do, because I I talked about it in that last answer, is I mentioned different leadership styles. And one way to, to think about it would be to overlay this braver idea against a couple of relatively well-known styles of leadership. So so people talk about authentic leadership. Now, to be authentic, <laughs> and of course, there are, there are several definitions of, of authentic. So let me keep to the, the sort of the basics. D- to be authentic, you, you're going to have to be transparent. You're going to have to be open. You're going to have to be honest. And if you are truly honest and you are really transparent in what you're doing and what you're thinking and what you see is what you get type idea, this 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 authenticity, then you are likely to be vulnerable because there will be situations where you've just got to say, here, he, he, this is me, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, the, the, there is there is nothing about this that is that is hidden, and therefore to open up to that level of honesty, transparency can cause the leader to put themselves in potentially harm's way. You know, what are you thinking? Why do you think that? And the temptation, of course, can be just to to hide and say, well, let me just repeat what everyone else is saying, but. It's so important in the mix in braver leaders and braver leadership that that we seek the truth and and speak the truth, and so the leader can be vulnerable there. Another type of 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 leadership would be ethical leadership. Now, there's lots and lots and lots written about ethics and and written about ethical leaders. But if you then think about any organization, any leader who has behaved in a way which is less than ethical or not moral and or not moral, then we can see that for them, they probably managed to get along for a while whilst creating mayhem behind the scenes, but maybe benefiting personally. And so to say, no, no, this is wrong. That, that is, this is not ethical. That is not a moral way to do things. Then once more, you, you are likely to be a lone voice if the environment has become used to less than ethical behaviors, less than ethical thinking. And to be the lone voice takes a lot of bravery to, to stick your head above the, the parapet, so to speak. And then... A servant leader, if we if you think about servant leaders, a servant leader should really be setting the tone for everyone to understand that the leader is there literally to serve, to help, to support, to allow people to be as good as they can be, to get on the road to, or perhaps even arrive at their full potential. But that means that the, the leader is not hiding behind all the trappings of power. They are, again, stepping away from that and saying, I am me, I'm being authentic, I'm being ethical, I'm being moral, and I'm here to help you. And for some people, that can be a difficult transition because they've been used to hiding a little bit, not being open, not being transparent, and and dictating to a degree based on the hierarchical structure. 
So for a leader to say, I'm going to just eschew all that stuff and just be me can take a lot of bravery. I think for many people does require a lot of bravery. So, so the, 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 the braver leader will often need to swim against the current the current thinking is what I mean by that. Again, I've mentioned put the head above the parapet. And Elaine and I talked about, I talk about <laughs> still a lot, doing the right thing. Most people have some understanding, we believe, of right and wrong, good and bad, and doing the right thing. But we added in some other caveats, if I could call them that, in the mix. And it's not just to do the right thing. It's to do the right thing at the right time. So in a business where 1,000 people have called out the, the environmental distress that's being, that's being caused by this business, if you're 1,001, for you personally, yes, that may have taken a big effort. But ultimately, it's the people who are first who say, I, I think that's wrong. I am speaking up then that, that level of bravery, I think, in most situations is likely to be higher. So it's the right thing at the right time and also for the right reason. Uh, Elaine and I would suggest that, that people who are doing things that might look good, they might be there for the right reason on the surface, but the, the, the reason that they are done is for self-advancement, for self-aggrandizement, uh, to, to perhaps further some Machiavellian aim. That is not brave. Again, that's, that's not ethical, it's not moral, it, it is ultimately toxic. And the last of our four R's is to do things in the right way. You know, let's take an example. Um, let's say there's a, there, there has to be something in the business which is reduced, closed down. Maybe this means people losing jobs. Maybe it means that uh, an area, a factory, whatever it is, has to close. And there's no other way around it. People have looked at every possible option. But ultimately, the only way is to cut costs in that area. And hopefully, the, the transmission of what is going on behind the scenes has been honest and transparent, to come back to those two words again. However, there's a, there is a, a right way to do that, and that is by supporting people, is keeping them informed along the way, along that journey to that point. It is also supporting them after the event, finding other roles, transferring them, or indeed helping them find another job. So, so we would say that in that, that mix of, of braver leaders is this four-hour idea, the right thing at the right time for the right reason and in the right way. Amazing. Thank you, Mike. I, you know, when uh, you were speaking, it made me think, you know, how they say that leaders are born and leaders are not made. Um, do you think that would apply for braver leaders as well? So I, I was just going to say that, interestingly, I did my PhD on whether mentors are born, are born or made. That was the title of my thesis. So with leaders, um, I think the answer is Probably, if you did the research, it would be the same answer that I got, which was a bit of both. You know that there's something, something within in the leader that um, motivates them and drives them to want to be out there in front, doing things, standing up above the parapet, like Mike said. But also, they need professional development, like any other person in work. So, it's a bit of both, I think. 
Yeah, I, w- I would agree with Elaine. I, th- I think it is a bit of both because some people are, you know, they just they just do not want to do it. it it's not it's not how they're wired. Their their happiness and and sense of well being can be found in in different areas doing different things. Now, having said that. I'm, I'm always reminded about the the movie Gladiator, if you've if you've ever watched that with uh, Russell Crowe and Richard Harris, and of course it's it's Maximus and uh, Marcus Aurelius, and it, there's a, there's a, a part in the film where, and I'm going to paraphrase, um, and I'm going to avoid doing the accents, although I'm, I'm very tempted, but no, I'm not going to do that. And Richard Harris, Marcus Aurelius, who of course was a real character and a, and a brilliant mind. And he says something to to Maximus along the lines of, I want you to head up the Senate in Rome and give it back to the people. And Maximus, the Russell Crowe character, says something like, with all my heart, no. And Marcus Aurelius then says, but that's why you're the right person for the job, because you have not been tainted by the politics, the corruption, whatever it may be. And so... I, the reason I mention that is because in the mix, I think that wh- what we have to be careful of is that some people who push themselves forward, who they, hey, I'm a leader, is that ego, is that hubris, is that narcissism, is that why we have some issues and challenges, quite a lot, in fact, and and do we need to be mining, so to speak, uh, the the team, the business, the organisation, for those people who are self-effacing, for those people who are quiet, for those people who do, do not seek the limelight, but in actual fact, with the development that Elaine has alluded to, could be the most outstanding leaders. And of course, some of them will not want to be, but some given a bit of encouragement and, and quite a bit of development can be outstanding. I love The Gladiator. It's, I think, one of the greatest movies in history. Such a great example to give. Um, do you have any other examples of braver leaders? Off the top of my head, I think people who have been brave, um, they are iconic, but hopefully that that doesn't demean and diminish in the sense that we're so familiar with some of the names that it's easy to forget exactly what they what they did. I mean, I I think that um, you know Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, was a, a, an outstanding human, and to 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 really make himself vulnerable, uh, ultimately, uh, unfortunately, very vulnerable, um, and 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 lead by walking around. And this person with an amazing ability for for rhetoric and 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 the, the the language, and his whole thing about you know judge someone. Hopefully, we will ultimately judge people by their character. It still resonates. Still, is so important. Still, is so powerful. And he, for me, is one of the, the individuals who is the absolute epitome of of someone who is was a braver leader. And I think that, I mean, another one, and perhaps also a very obvious one, it was Gandhi, who, you know, was someone else who led by literally, literally walking around and spread a message of 
resistance, so to speak, but but with with peace. And someone also who, if we apply that idea about being vulnerable, was ultimately really vulnerable. And yet he he went out and and did it. Yeah, that's great. So um, another another question that comes to mind in this scenario, not in this scenario, because these are great examples of people that made history. Um and of course, we know the challenges that they were facing and they overcame. But what are the challenges in life and in business that a person faces to become a braver leader nowadays? Well, in the book, we emphasize a leader's need for constant self-development and self-care. So that's one of the challenges of fitting that in and being humble enough to acknowledge that they've got needs for those things. So I think that's that's most important as well. And also that there's issues, current issues, in, in the, particularly in this century, that demand leaders be seen to be doing the right thing, as Mike has said, setting an example, leading the zeitgeist, if you like, uh, as well as responding to it. So the, there's a number of challenges. I'm sure Mike's got some more. Uh, it, it, yeah, I, I actually was going to go back to, to the 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 segue that, that, that Francesca um, came from, which was we were, we were talking about people uh, who are, are well-known. And then when we talk about challenges, uh, you know, to uh, becoming a, a leader uh, or, and or a, a braver leader, it, it is important to, I think, flag at this point that, that most of what Elaine and I are ultimately talking about it are, are it, it relates to that population who we probably would not know and it, it is useful as an analog as a cipher as an example to pick people who are well known to pick people who have a, a, a really inspiring story and made a big difference to to a lot of folks but our message is also that it's the day-to-day stuff it is the day-to-day stuff that we are where we really need bravery to show up, that doing the right thing. And these people, when they do it, may not be you know, renowned throughout the world. In their areas, they will, they will probably be known. But even if it is something that someone does that is known only to the person beside them, then I think one way to consider that is that it puts a building block back into society, to the team, to the business, to the organization, uh, which contains ethics, morals, uh, good, rightness, uh, the virtues. And that is so important because ultimately there is a ripple effect. Ultimately, that, that does make a difference. And other other challenges I would say uh, from that, and, and again, so this is the quotidien. This is the this is the day to day stuff. Is that leaders who or someone who's thinking of becoming a leader should begin to understand that they need to think for themselves. They 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 should research readership. They they, they should you know read books. They should do a lot of reading because it is easy to fall for. Let's use that word in a different way, the, 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 the zeit, 
zeitgeist or the Kool-Aid of what is being spouted by some in terms of what leadership may look like. And it's easy to be seduced by people who have made it, for example, and tell you here is how you lead. And they may say, well, you follow that passion and money will flow in. Well, that doesn't always happen. And often the people who say that made their money in a totally different sector. So we've got to be discerning about what is required. And so I would strongly encourage people who who want to, to lead, who want to influence, to read, research, and again, get as close to the truth as possible, because there's a lot of information out there, and some of it is propaganda, some of it is misdirection, some of it is misinformation. So seeking the truth, being open to different ideas and opinions, being aware of confirmation bias, and and continually reading and and reflecting, I think, is another one. Um, I, I mentioned this already, but prepare to be a voice of one. But you've got, you've, got to, you've got to be ready for that to happen. And that can be a, a lonely place. And I would also say that a leader should, should act in alignment with their values. And Elaine and I have written about this before, that, that, that values, understanding what your values are is really important. There's different ways that you can do that. But aligning with your values, align your behaviors, your actions with your values, and do that as soon as possible. Because if someone wants to be a leader or is perhaps in, a, in, in some sort of leadership role, and they, let's say they go into a new environment, uh, whatever that may be, and to fit in, they, they do not align with their values. And they say to themselves, well, you know, I'll do that next time that problem arises, or I'll, I'll act more ethically next month. And before we know it, 12 months, five years have gone by. And then how difficult is it for that leader to have much credibility or indeed to notice that they've, they've shifted and are now inured to whatever the culture is, uh, toxic, unethical or whatever. So I would say from day one, where at all possible, align with those values, act in that way and stick to your guns. Yeah, this, uh, this also reminds me that earlier on you mentioned the necessity of emotional intelligence. Do you want to expand more on that? Emotional intelligence, I would say, is something that one has got to be acutely aware of if you're in a a leadership position. And the reason that I mention that is because the, the leader is is ultimately um, IMAX. And what I mean by that is that if if we have a leader who is emotionally labile, let's say, who can one day be happy and jolly and then the next day angry and aggressive, but for no reason, there's no pattern to this, there is, no, there, there is never an apparent trigger, nothing at all, then this can cause a leader to make people around them extremely fearful and, and anxious. And the reason that that can happen, we can all impact people that way when, when, our, when our emotions are labile, when, when, when we are demonstrating emotional ability, but particularly with the leader. Because when I talk about IMAX, if, if you imagine an IMAX screen, a cinema screen, 
and then compare it to someone who was an actor on a stage. And on that stage, they are giving a performance to a big room and it's these slanted seats and auditorium. There's no sound system. There is no camera and projection system. All the actors have is their voice and their movement. And of course, particularly depending on the type of play, then the, the, the movements are exaggerated hugely and the voice is projected. Now, if that actor acted like that on screen or, you know, to, to, to be shown on TV or in a cinema, it would look ridiculously over the top. So many of the, 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 the time that we see actors in the cinema, and particularly IMAX, Yes, there are set action pieces which can look spectacular, but the actor has got to do very little and should do very little to convey emotion. It's the raise of an eyebrow, you know, like the rock or whatever. That 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 little glance can convey so much because because on that giant screen the actor is you know two hundred feet wide and a hundred feet high or whatever it may be, and. The leader is like that in the sense that the tribe, if I, if I can call them that, the, the people around the leader are looking to the, the tribe's leader to figure out if they're happy, if they're anxious, if they are frightened, because the tribe's survival, so to speak, may depend on the leader being perhaps suitably anxious and not blasé or perhaps suitably confident and not looking worried, even though they've been told, the tribe, that everything is okay. So in other words, the leader has been calibrated. The, the, the team, the business, the organization have looked closely at the cues and the clues and the micro expressions of this leader, and they know when something is going wrong, sometimes at a, a subconscious level. So if the leader walks out of a meeting with the shoulders slumped and gives a big sigh, then that could be for other reasons. But but people will wonder because the leader casts a huge shadow. So for the leader to to not be emotionally intelligent, I think it can be quite catastrophic. And and again, to, to loop back to emotional intelligence, it, it's essentially understanding others, being socially aware. And that means that the leader, therefore, has to be aware of others, must not switch off, has to be focused on the group, the people in front of them, is listening, is actively listening. And it's also, I would suggest, practicing non-judgmental listening. And I'll come back to that in a moment. I think the leader also has to make sure that they are resilient enough. They have enough emotional capacity to be emotionally intelligent. So one way to, for example, dial down some of that spurious emotional ability is to name emotions. It's a tried and tested idea that if we are experiencing emotion, if we're we're emotionally literate, not illiterate, but literate, and we name the emotion, we give it a label, and maybe we play around with it and say, what else, what else could I call this? Then this, this tends to mean that the emotions lose their impact. And I think it's the, the right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex that, that is activated. And that 
impacts the amygdala. The effect is mediated through the medial prefrontal cortex, I believe. So in other words, the, 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 the amygdala, its activation has died down, or, or is doused down, I should say. We're not as reactive. And that right ventral prefrontal cortex is active. So what that is doing is it is allowing the leader to access more of their logical thinking, their critical thinking skills, their nuanced thinking, rather than this, this right and wrong, them and us binary thinking we can get into when we are in a highly charged emotional state. And so, so not only might the leader make mistakes and not be nuanced enough in the thinking, which is quite crucial, I would suggest, they can also terrify, uh, frighten, upset people because of this, this strangeness of, of mood for no reason. And some people have been asked, you know, would you rather work for a bad-tempered leader permanently or a leader who one day was all sweetness and light and the next day was biting people people's heads off for no reason? And people tend to say, not everyone, but I'd rather work for the bad temper one because at least it's consistent. Um, and and back to that point, it was making about the the, the leader actively listening and, and attempting to be non-judgmental. If you can imagine the power of, of a leader who's IMAX, when in a meeting someone says something and they smile and nod, thank you, thank you very much, Janice. And now, Nigel, well, you know, sigh, eye roll. Let's hear what you've got to say. Now, the words themselves, well, now, Nigel, let's see what you've got to say. They sound great, but IMAX, people, people hear the sigh, they notice the eye roll. It communicates so much. And I think that, yes, of course, we can all get exasperated. The leader's going to have off days. Everybody does. But they've got to be aware of that. And that awareness is also part of emotional intelligence. I also have a question for Elaine. Um, in the book, you mentioned the relation of brave leadership to climate and environment and also to mental health and well-being. Um, would you like to talk more about that? Yes, thank you. Um, well, like Mike, my motivation for writing the book was also the need for improved leadership, but also it was an opportunity to position leadership development in the context of current challenges. So I think the risks of the changing climate, for instance, and the decline of nature are additional challenges for the leader and many unpopular decisions may need to be taken. This is a lot to do out there. World leaders have demonstrated how hard this is and there's many opposing voices getting in the way, even in the light of scientific evidence. Um, there are people opposing that evidence, uh, making things difficult for leaders all around the world to, to uh, tackle and do di different things to um, not only to um, cope with climate, changing climate, but also to try and reverse it. So there's a huge task here for braver leaders. That was really my my key for for being involved in the book was to to try and make people braver so they could tackle issues like that. And I know Mike has similar feelings for the um, mental health and well-being field, which which is also a challenge. Mike, you probably want to say a few words about that. Oh, thank you, Lynn. Um, the yes, yeah, I think it is important to 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 link that in as well. 
that the 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 leader, apart from you know being emotionally intelligent, really has got to think about creating an environment which is is psychologically safe. Uh, so psychological safety first described and, and actually researched by Professor Amy Edmondson is essentially, and I'm going to paraphrase here greatly quite a lot of research, but essentially it's an environment where everyone feels safe to speak up and to contribute, to express concerns or opinions. And I think we can, like some of the environmental stuff, organizations can tick a box that looks good in the brochure, looks good in terms of corporate social responsibility. But what is, if you lift the, the bonnet up, what is actually happening underneath? Are they still ditching those chemicals or using some sort of circuitous route to get around it? And are they really caring for the people, the people who are in their care in terms of mental health and well-being? And I would probably run through what I think is a, a really lovely little model, but I'll, I'll do it really briefly, which is a, connected to psychological safety. It can, it can help us create that environment. And it's called the SCARF model, S-C-A-R-F, by Dr. David Rock. And just asking some of these questions of ourselves, if we are a leader, or if we are looking at a leader, or if we're in a team, I think can be really beneficial. So so status is the is the S in the scarf model. Essentially, am I appreciated for what I do? So if if the if the leader is appreciating people, if if the team member feels appreciated, they will tend to be boosted, not only physically, but of course psychologically. But the, the flip side of that can be if they're feeling underappreciated, if ego has crept in to the mix, perhaps it's there's some form of narcissism or acquired situational narcissism, which is debatable, but I've, I've said whether it exists, but, I, but I've seen it. Um, and and, and how, how crushed might that individual be? And the C in the SCARF model is certainty. How confident am I, are we, of the future? Now, of course, we can't be certain of everything, and it is important to note that we do like novelty, but we generally generally prefer more more certainty than novelty. So let, let's imagine it is a period of change, and change is happening through, throughout the business. Then the leader's job, in normal times as well, but I, I mentioned change because I think this can exacerbate this or highlight it in a different way. There's the leader's job to create as much certainty as possible because there are a lot of moving parts and some of those moving parts may be moving because it is change, but they have an element of predictability about them. And it's important to highlight that. So let's say that for the next six months, we don't know, we will not know the outcome. But if the leader can say, we will not know that outcome for the next six months. So until then, we can't make a prediction. What the leader is saying is that we are certain of the uncertainty during that six months. So there are ways to, to help people be appraised or apprised, depending on, on which side of the ocean you're on, uh, of, that, of that situation. And imagine, imagine the flip side. So someone is, they're not informed. Uh, the leader has decided to create a group to solve all the problems. 
that's an immediate in-group. The people on the outside of that group are the out-group. And they start to make up stories about what is happening in those high-power meetings. That's why transparency, honesty, good communication are so important. And, and when people feel threatened because of that sort of behaviour, nature abhors a vacuum. And so they make up stories normally that are less than positive due to that uncertainty. So people require certainty. The A of this Scarf model is autonomy. How much control do people feel that they have? And I think that's really important. We know from all sorts of different areas of research that giving people control, even in, let's say, um, old people's homes, how much autonomy people have is so important to the physical and mental health. But if you take the flip side of that, where someone is micromanaged or the, the atmosphere means that they're scared to fail because they won't take a risk, now this echoes back to a our servant leader. So the servant leader would create an environment where it's okay to fail because it's learning, because it's a coaching environment. But the, 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 the leader who gives no autonomy probably has people scared to take that risk. And then the R is relatedness in the model. Do we feel connected? And, and most of us like to feel connected. And if someone feels, again, that they're in that outgroup or they don't belong or they're being talked down to, then that disconnect can be extremely debilitating for them. And lastly, fairness. How, how fair do we think things are? It, you know, it, are, are these decisions being made transparently honestly, and honestly? And do we feel that we understand and perhaps had an input to that decision making, if at all possible? Because things like cronyism, favoritism, uh, politics with a big and small p, but certainly the small p, can cause people to feel that, that that was unfair. And if something is unfair, well, it would, it would seem to be the case that according to some researchers, that when we experience something that we think was not fair, the feeling is akin to disgust. And if you can imagine then what is happening if the leader does not practice psychological safety. I've illustrated it by that scarf model, but it can be done in different ways, of course. But if they don't practice that, then what are they losing? They're losing out the creativity, the innovation that exists within that team, within that organization. And they may also be losing people to sickness, etc. So, yeah, mental health and well-being is so important. And, and I, I can't help but emphasize that there is a duty of care and like we said about the, the, the braver leader, it's in the daily habits. It's not necessarily the grand gestures. The grand gestures are fine. The printed words and the poster on the wall are all fine, but it's how people do it. It's like integrity. It's how it's done when no one else is looking. Wonderful. Thank you so much for this great and interesting topic. I just hope people take up that idea of braver leaders and, and being braver and remember that if you're looking for someone else to do it well you're the leader <laughs> and so if, if it's not happening you're the leader uh, and we all are we all have to do our bit Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find more information about our guests and a full transcription of the show on our websites I would like to thank Fiona Allison for her help with today's episode and the studio This is Distorted.